Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the V-Auto Podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson with V-Auto, and with me today is Brad Corner, General Manager of Cox Rates and Incentives. Brad, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you very much, Lance, and I appreciate you having me on the podcast today. Absolutely. And you know, uh, Brad, I'm especially excited today because when we were preparing for this podcast, I thought I knew some things about rebates, rates, and incentives and such, but you gave me quite an education, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that you said, you know what, we should maybe share some of this knowledge with dealers on the podcast. So thank you for being here. And, And perhaps as a place to start, you know, from our conversation, Brad, it struck me that there's an awful lot of movement um, and change in the way OEMs are handling how they offer incentives and rebates. And I was hoping maybe we could start with kind of an overview of what some of those changes might be and some of the reasons for the changes that are happening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, incentives of some type, uh, whether they're APR, uh, percentage rates, cash, or conditional offers are used on 95% of all new vehicle transactions. And they're used to stimulate uh, activity, you know, whether it's a finance or a lease deal or to uh, manipulate a price or a payment. And they're extremely effective. uh, And OEMs have looked at their spend on incentives for probably the last two or three years, and they're getting uh, much more analytical about how they apply their spend. And the main reason hmm. for that is really uh, to help them control their spend and target it for whatever their business objective is. And uh, we all know that that business objective always ends up to be clear out more room so that the dealer can buy more inventory from the factory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And make money for the factory at the same time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, as complex as what these offers uh, seem at times, the, the premise is pretty basic, Lance. It's um, a three-legged stool, as we like to refer to it, where it's a combination of incentives based off of the vehicle, the consumer, or the consumer's household, also the location of where that vehicle is. And over the course of about the last three years, that's really been the focus of the OEMs has been to really drill down and make those three areas very, very pivotal as far as how they spend their money on incentives. Well, let's dive into that a little bit, Brad. So we're out of the three legs. My guess might be that where they're getting more granular and there's more change might relate to the vehicle and the consumer themselves rather than location. First of all, is that true? It is for the most part. So, you know, the vehicle and the consumer are really the areas that they don't necessarily need to put a broad brush amount on a vehicle. And that's important Mm. because, you know, like take for instance, four or five years ago, a vehicle would have an incentive on it at a you know year make model level, and mm-hmm. since that time it's gone down to trim levels, options, and package codes, and also even VIN specific. And hmm. you know the spend also from an OEM perspective has been 
on consumers in order to be able to target certain households with special offers that don't necessarily always get published. And those two combinations are probably the major areas where OEMs are being very specific about their spend. From a a vehicle standpoint, let's drill into that. You mentioned trim and even maybe equipment level specific incentives. What are a couple of examples and why are OEMs getting so granular? So this is a $50 billion cost to OEMs annually as far as the spend. And, you know, when when you look at that level of money, they really have to be able to understand what they're getting back for that spend. And uh, three years ago, four years ago, incentives, uh, like we talked about, were at a very high level. But now you look at a, a particular incentive that's on a vehicle today, and I just happened to pull up 2019 Ram truck. And that would have been, in the old days, a, you know, a particular incentive on a 2019 Ram 1500. But now it's a 2019 Ram 1500 Bighorn crew cab 4x4 with a 5-foot 7-inch box on the back. And that's being applied for some specific reasons. So either the OEM has a surplus of those trim levels that they want to offer a much better deal on or they want to gain a competitive advantage in the marketplace by winning, you know, with that particular vehicle. So take, for instance, uh, an example might be how Ram's done a great job of moving into the number two slot in full-size pickups this year over over General Motors. And they've done it with, you know, a couple of different things. I've, they have two different models, you know, the classic and the new Ram. And then they've also uh, done a very effective job of applying discounts to those vehicles and, and really capturing, you know, a, a consumer based on adjusted or a lucrative uh, price or, or lease payment. And those option package codes, like what we're talking about on this Ram 1500 Bighorn crew cab had about $6,750 in cash discount for that package code. And if you're looking at the OEM, that may only cost them one-tenth of that amount. And so from a discount standpoint, they aren't necessarily applying full $6,750 cash back to the consumer. Instead, they're discounting that uh, package, protects their margins, and helps provide excellent discounts for both consumers and dealers. That's interesting. So is that somewhat of an accounting game then for the OEM to basically show the cost of that incentive against like a high profit margin piece of the vehicle then? So the trend is within, and all of us in the auto industry know that you know average transaction prices are going up because of the content in vehicles. You know, also the transition from sedans to sport utilities and trucks and that sort of thing. So as the, they've gone upscale, so is the technology and the content. So, you know, looking at ways in which they can provide a highly equipped vehicle at, I would say, a, a discounted price, the consumer perceives that as a good value, and also they can discount it without really taking as much 
of a hit is what they would be with cash back to the customer. Interesting. So if I'm a dealer, or, or maybe even more specifically, the person at the managing the new vehicle department, managing the way I price my vehicles and, and apply these sort of incentives and things at the desk, seems like it's a little trickier these days. And I guess what what's your sense of how well dealers may be handling this higher level of granularity and, and specificity in the incentives and rebates that OEMs are putting on the vehicles. You know, that's absolutely a great point, Lance, because uh, desk managers and sales managers really need to be able to manipulate all the different offers so that they can present what's best for that particular customer. And we refer to them as deal scenarios. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there may be multiple different offers based on what deal scenario, whether I'm financing through the captive or going to my local credit union or leasing through the captive or leasing through a um, associate of the uh, OEM that's sponsored for for the a, a particular lease deal. So sales managers and desking managers really very reliant on their tools to be able to provide, you know, the, the appropriate price with the discounts that the OEM's offering, as well as calculate a payment that's reflective of what the customer is trying to accomplish. And uh, the majority of shoppers are, are monthly payment buyers, and we see about 60% of them start the online purchase process through you know one of the out-of-store or online applications. And because of that, it's really, really important that the technology dealer uses reflects the ability to present all those different offers. I'm glad you brought that up, Brad, because as you were explaining that, you know, I guess I was putting myself at the desk thinking, okay, maybe there's four or five ways this deal might go with this customer, but, and I should certainly be aware, you know, of, of which one might or which two perhaps might make the most sense given that situation. But I was also thinking, wait a minute, there's a lot more customers doing stuff and starting deals online. So I guess, are we at a situation where dealers are able to say, put three or four scenarios in front of a dealer on, in front of a customer online such that, you know, they can really start working a deal in earnest? Absolutely. It needs to be that way because, you know, we're, we're both consumers of a lot of different products. And we do the majority of our shopping online. I'm assuming that, but I, our uh, whole perspective of shopping is, is you know, taking a very different turn probably over the last 10 years. So, you know, the, the dusking of a deal when you would typically go into a dealership is really the consumer shopping that vehicle online and, and really structuring which deal scenario works for them. And unless technology, you know, enables them to be able to do it, they will realistically lose customers. And we did a study a little bit earlier this year that we compared uh, a lot of different tools that were out there in the marketplace. And what we found was that because some of these tools didn't accurately stack incentives and provide different payment options for the customer, 
In some cases, a dealer was over $120 more per month on a loan term than another dealer for the same price car. Which I guess is okay if that consumer, A, doesn't look for that other dealer, (laughs) or B, after they buy the car, they never find out that they paid way more than they should have. Well, we all, I think, are pretty aware that most shoppers are going to look, you know, at a couple of different places. It's just, you know, it's the whole phone shopping in in the uh, showroom. Uh, Whether you're buying uh, an appliance or whether you're buying stereo equipment or clothing, everybody's going to price check and they're going to look. And, you know, that's a significant disadvantage for a dealer that really, you know, they're not going to get a second chance with that customer when they see $120 per month difference on a uh, a particular purchase. Brad, I'm just curious on the study, how serious a problem do we have out there where perhaps a dealer might offer a payment calculator or a deal-making kind of scenario online, but it's really not equipped for this 2019-era level of incentives and rebates. So I think that there's a risk out there for a lot of dealers that really don't understand, you know, all of the different permeations that a, a consumer would look at online. You know, and most dealers are understanding you know, this transition's happening, and I think it's becoming a, a lot more apparent than what it was, you know, even 12 months ago. So I think dealers really understand that shift in advertising spend is certainly going to digital. Shoppers, that's where the shoppers are, and you can't afford to have that l- large of a, I would say, gap in what you're providing to your shoppers when they when they look at your vehicles online. Let me let me ask you this, Brad. This is a little bit off script, but what could a dealer perhaps do to check or test whether the stuff that they have online, you know, as it relates to flexibility and accuracy of deal-making scenarios and allowing consumers to dial it in right, whether what could they do to assess, okay, I'm I'm okay here or, you know what, I've got a problem. Well, I think the first thing that a dealer would want to do is make sure that they understand where that data is coming from that's powering those different online tools. And, you know, when they do that investigation, they're going to understand is this information compatible with or can it produce the same type of pricing and payments that will occur within my dealership. A lot of that is mimicking the process online that they would take them through in the store and making sure that a consumer has the the availability to look at, you know, three or four different deal scenarios to determine, you know, what's the best payment or what type of financing fits my budget the best for what my use is, you know, whether it's a lease, you know, and what the mileage is on the lease and what that's going to require as opposed to financing a vehicle, you know, in a straight purchase. So I guess it kind of goes back to that that old inspect what you expect axiom. Well, yeah, and that's a great point because most of the dealers that I talk with do go out and play with their inventory, whether it's on an advertising site or whether it's on their own website or, you know, a third-party listing site. 
it's natural curiosity, number one. And number two, you know, there's a lot of ways to mystery shop your competition. And, you know, as we know with the auto, uh, that's one of the things that both Conquest and Provision allow a dealer to do is to price their vehicles competitively. And the second part of that is, is making sure that the customer can figure a payment from uh, the price off of that vehicle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, for that, say, self-test or self-check exercise, Brad, how often, based on your engagements with dealers, how often are they doing that? Is it once a quarter, twice a year? What What's a frequency that might lend a dealer or a new vehicle manager I mean, some confidence that, hey, we're okay here? From what I see, and we power about 88,000 applications per month with incentives. So everything from digital advertising partners to website listings, the desking tools, the digital retailing tools, and even equity offer tools. And we see a huge influx of, I would say, inspection or auditing as soon as they get the new incentives. So if change day is going to be uh, November 1st as an example, they're actually looking at finance deals, lease deals that same day as soon as that data gets released. And we typically see an influx of calls because there's either sometimes issues with the data, but a lot of times it's just trying to understand what new offers and programs are available from the OEMs that they can promote or use on their website. The frequency that, that I was nudging toward of, you know, once a quarter, really, it sounds to me like in practice, dealers are checking that stuff out every month, every time there's a new round of incentives and rebates coming out. Absolutely. That's what we're seeing. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. So, Brad, I want to be respectful of time for both our listeners and for you. We've talked a little bit about how OEMs are getting more specific in terms of the vehicle and pieces of the vehicle with incentives and such. A little bit about the consumer and targeting the household. That third leg you mentioned, location, what are you seeing there in terms of differences from the past or, or nuances uh, in the last year or two? So geography was primarily, the I, I would say, the least used lever the pole, and now we're seeing that almost come up in, I, I would say, emphasis and equality with the other two stools, uh, both the consumer and the vehicle. What's happening is that the OEMs are getting more and more granular in their geography areas, and by doing that, they can make offers more specific to the consumers in that particular area. So we know that the Northeast some cases the Midwest, like Detroit and Chicago, South Florida, and the West Coast are very, very high lease penetration markets. And when you get into the demographics of those different markets, you begin to understand you know, which vehicles are going to sell best with which packages. And they can adjust some of those incentives like we were talking about on option package codes by market and that way they get to control their spin a little bit more, or they can you know, behave more, I would say, aggressively and go after other competitors. And it all depends on the OEM. And what we've seen is with the high volume 
players, you know, I'll just say Ford or Nissan or Hyundai or FCA, they tend to make their geographies much more compact than are the luxury OEMs. People like Mercedes who have the same offers throughout the U.S. or somebody like Lexus and, and um, Audi who have fewer areas of geography than, than the mainstream uh, large volume OEMs. Now, this might seem, or I guess it is kind of extreme, but say Chicago, where, you know, it's a sprawling metropolitan area. Are, are you saying, Brad, that if I'm on the west end of the Chicago metro area, I might have an incentive or rebate as a consumer that I can get that's different than if I was on the north side or, or deep in the south side of the city? It depends on really how the, the OEM geography is set up. And I would say they typically, when they start getting more and more granular, they try and follow something like DMAs, as an example, those particular areas. And that might be Chicago versus Rockford or Milwaukee, as opposed to just the north side or south side of Chicago. Okay, I, I was wondering if all this granularity is going to end up you know, on a kind of like block by block basis, but maybe, maybe that's too extreme. Well, I, I would say the trigger that they pull in those cases, uh, Lance, is where they would assign specific cash or money on a VIN. So they, you know, there are certain OEMs that say, you know, out of your 500 new cars, here's a hundred VINs that you can tag with an additional discount. That's typically how they do that, based on how many vehicles that particular dealer buys from the factory and, you know, the amount of, I would say, financial support they want to provide that dealer. So is it possible that one dealer can get a, a richer deal than another? Well, there's a lot of discussion around two-tier pricing, and uh, that's exactly what that's about. Yeah, it always has been. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. One other nuance here to the rebates and incentives arena. In the last, uh, I'd say, two months or so in my calls with dealers, I've heard a couple more, and I want to say that uh, both were GM dealers, where the factory was giving some incentives for them to apply to used cars, which I thought was kind of a, a, a fresh thing. It may not be, but it struck me that way. And I guess I'm curious for your perspective, Brad, on what sorts of trends or movement are we seeing as it relates to incentives and rebates on the used side of the business? With the large-scale influx of vehicles that are coming off lease and coming back into, I would say, the remarketing network, we're seeing and we have seen the number of incentives based on CPO loaner, and in some cases, demo units continue to go up and continue to, I would say, get more sophisticated in how they can apply those incentives. And, you know, the OEM is continuing to be dependent on, I would say, rental car fleets that are, I would say, loaner car fleets that the dealers use for customers that are in for service. And those service vehicles are, I would say, an additional release valve for inventory that they can then 
add additional discounts to. So it, if you look at it from the perspective of used cars, it's CPO and loaner primarily. And CPO really offers both the dealer and the OEM some very good positives, you know, by helping subsidize either, you know, a lease on a three-year-old vehicle or a loan on a vehicle with some cash or with a subsidized lease. That helps the dealer if they, the consumer brings that vehicle back, they have a trade-in vehicle, they bought it from the captive, and then the captive also gets a second chance to finance that vehicle. So they've actually financed it twice. So it's a good, val- it's a good value proposition if they can uh, make it happen. You know, I remember when some of the OEM programs, which required, you know, X number of loaner cars and, and dealers were I, bemoaning the fact that, A, they had to do this, number one, and then B, what those cars would mean from a used car perspective and the pressure it might put on pricing and competition with new cars. So it sounds to me, at least at some level with some OEMs, that maybe they're actually giving dealers some wiggle room or some incentives, if you will, to actually manage these cars so it's not a losing proposition for the dealer. No question about it. CPO and used vehicles are actually more profitable, as we know, for dealers today. And with the OEM recognizing this, I think they are really looking at it from a different perspective to say, well, there's an opportunity to, number one, refinance the vehicle, number two, to sell an extended warranty and get more of that parts money back from the dealer who's going to be doing the repairs. Also, there's the loyalty factor of keeping the, the customer in the same brand vehicle as what the dealer is selling so that even if they didn't buy new this time, they're at least driving that brand and will give them you know, probably first shot when they come back and market. That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, Brad, if nothing else, you know, our conversation covered a lot of ground here. It's certainly proof that uh, rebates, the world of rebates and incentives is ever-changing. As a closing point, given all the things that we've talked about, Brad, what might be a couple points of advice you would offer to dealers as they look to manage this landscape in the months ahead? So first of all, Lance, I wanted to thank you for having me on again today. It's really uh, enjoyable talking with you, number one, because I think we get this level of discussion at a point where uh, both the dealer and service providers you know, really need to be familiar with and aware of what the expectations are. And, you know, a couple of the things I would say is that dealers really need to understand who their service providers are and what data that they're using. You know, that's going to provide them with, I would say, the ability to understand that, you know, whatever they're offering in store can be also provided online for those shoppers who are qualifying them before they even submit a lead or step into the dealership. And that's very, very important for those expectations expectations to be met and uh, for them to understand, you know, I want to be able to use the same incentives data across all of my spend, whether that's digital advertising, whether it's, you know, my listings and my DDPs, whether it's digital retailing. 
and ultimately things like desking tools and uh, equity tools. So using the same data will produce the same price and payments across all those different spends. And for every, you know, every dealer who's wanting to, you know, have the trust and the best interest of their customers, that's uh, ultimately the goal that they're looking to achieve and that we need to help them achieve. Just to go back to something we mentioned, Brad, that point of consistency, that's really where the dealer's own kind of oversight and self-checking comes into play to make sure that that level of consistency is actually occurring. Yes. You know, there's there's going to be certain inventory and also certain deals that the dealer is going to want to promote both through, you know, their digital advertising partners and also on their websites. And those are the first ones that they're going to look to desk those deals internally so that they can advertise them, you know, as, you know, a, a promotion or a, or a best deal or the, you know, deal of the week. And without a doubt, they're, they're looking at those, evaluating, you know, which deal is probably the best one to promote based on their market and the consumers that they have in their market. So I think dealers are becoming much, much more savvy about how important this is in the whole advertising and marketing scheme of their, uh, of their business as well as their budget and their spend. Good point. And, and it, I guess I should have maybe mentioned this before, Brad, but you know, you and I are talking here mid-October 2019 at a time when the model year changeover traditionally has happened. From everything we've just talked about, it does seem to me that OEMs and the way they are deploying incentives, rebates and such, that that actually is still helping dealers move inventory. No question about it. I mean, you know, let's look at, you know, all of the OEMs maybe uh, except for General Motors and uh, hopefully that strike will be will be wrapped up quickly. But they're all building to capacity and building those vehicles to maximize their market share and their profitability. By utilizing incentives, it gives them both a tier one, tier two, and tier three way to be able to coordinate you know, what their offers are, what their specials are, and certainly what they want to promote from a vehicle mix to achieve the results they're looking for, whether that's, you know, profitability, market share, or, you know, just to, to win out as, you know, the top vehicle in a particular segment. Brad, would it be fair to say we might get back, get you back here on the podcast sometime soon? I would love to come back on, and uh, as we are talking about this being the sell-down season, uh, we'll be seeing how the consumers and how the dealers react to another pretty strong year and what we have to do to, to keep new vehicle sales rolling. Well, that's going to do it for another edition of the V-Auto Podcast. My thanks to Brad Corner, General Manager of Cox Automotive Rates and Incentives, And thanks to all of you for joining us here today. Until the next edition of our podcast, stay well.